Well, welcome along if you're new and visiting us. Um, my name is Brendan, and um, I'm part of the core team. I lead our young adults group. It's a real privilege that I have. I feel a little bit like this week with so many people. I mean, the Taylors are away, our senior pastor. We've got the Wilsies are away, the Fens are away, and it's kind of like I think they got to planning this message, and they're like, who have we got? <laughs> oh, we've got that guy, Brendan. Oh, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, let's give him a go. <laughs> so, um, but seriously, thank you so much for visiting, if you're visiting with us today. Um, I'm really excited about giving this message, um, which is on the fear of man, and I just want to share with you that I feel so underqualified to give this message. I've had a really hard week. Um, I had exams... They finished on Wednesday. Uh, I went straight to the library to prepare this message because last night in Wollongong, I had a a Bucks party. Um, So I drove home late last night. I drove home late last night from this party and I knew when I was preparing to write this message that I only had like this small window of opportunity to prepare it. And I found myself being really anxious and nervous and worried because I really wanted to be impressive to you guys. And I thought, isn't that ironic that I'm worried and anxious about giving a message on the fear of man? Um, So I I just want to say up front that I feel very underqualified to give this message. Um, It's a topical message, just as a way to start off. I mean, we've got uh, a passage that I want to read from, which is in Mark chapter 14. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open up there to Mark chapter 14 from verse 53. It's a topical message. So we're going to be starting here. We're not going to be staying here. It's not an exegesis or anything like that. Um, and, we're, and we're in the midst of a, a series, really, that's on, it's called In It to Win It, where we're looking at how can, how can we be a people that are intentionally missional? How can we be a people that are friend of sinners like Christ was and, and, and be really trying to reach our friends for the glory of, the glory of God? Um, and I, I'm, I'm really aware also that for many people in this church, as the, the weeks leading up to this message have gone by, this issue of the fear of man and evangelism is a really big issue. I've, many people have come to me and said, look, Brennan, I, I really struggle with this, and I've struggled with this for a very long time. And so I'm, I'm just acutely aware that, that this is a very timely message for many people here. And, and I hope to encourage you from the Word of God this morning. Um, I guess I feel like as a Bible college student, I'm staying at Moore College, just finished my second year, and I've just been living in this Christian ghetto, and I think I kind of forgot how difficult evangelism can be. I was at a non-Christian party the other day. I shared it with our life group, and I was sitting with this big group of friends, my friend Deepak, and I was sitting in this big group of friends that he knows from his degree at university. They're all doing medical radiation physics. And we're sitting in a big circle, and I'm sort of trying to draw them out. Yeah, what are you doing? What do you study? What are you, what are you doing? And then they're like, finally, this guy asked me, so what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a Bible college student. Silence. <laughs> Everyone absolutely silent, just staring at me, like way to go to kill a conversation. I then, after that, had a conversation with a guy who's doing his PhD in cosmology, and I'm just chatting away, blah, blah, cosmology. He's asking more about theology. And he said, do you think you could study theology as an atheist? I said, yeah, I think you could, but I don't really know why you'd want to. And he's like, yeah, good point. Well, personally, I think that, you know, Christianity, theology, all that stuff is toxic to science. 
and I'm just standing there like, what do I say? You know, how am I meant to? I mumbled out something. I, I, I don't, you know, philosophy, uh, Bible, history. But I just was a, <laughs> acutely aware in that moment. I just, I just, I realized that sharing the gospel is difficult at times and it takes courage. And I'm just prone to being fearful. And maybe, maybe sitting here today, you've got a friend and you feel like a particular burden for them to come to know Jesus. And you've, you've tried to have that conversation before. You know, you've really tried. You've, you've, you've come up to them and, you know, say, oh, can we, can we hang up for coffee sometime? I'd love to talk to you and chat. And you've sort of G'd yourself up for it. You're like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to share with this person. Really, I'm going to do it this time. And, um, you know, your heart's thumping away and you've got the clammy hands and you're just about to say something and they know you're going to say something and they're like looking at you but you're, you're pausing, holding back and they, they ask you like, do you want to say something? Like, is there something you want to say? And then you chicken out. Uh, no, no, it's, it's nothing. Is that your story? Have you, have you been there before? Have you experienced that? I really am glad to be given this message because I think the Bible has a lot to say about the fear of man and evangelism. I really hope to encourage you. One of the ways I hope to encourage you is with the story of, of Peter, the disciple Peter. So if you've got your Bibles open to, to Mark 14:53, I'll, I'll read the passage and, and then we'll pray together. Mark 14:53. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders... And the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself by the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. And they found none. For many bore false witness against him. And the testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the middle and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came to him. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You were also with this Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it. I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went away out into the courtyard and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began also to say to the bystanders, this man here is one of them. But again, he denied it. 
And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke invoke a a curse upon himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a compassionate God, a merciful God. And in your compassion, you send your son Jesus, a perfect sacrifice for us sinners, Lord. Amongst us here today are people who are weak and broken, in need of your mercy, Lord. And I pray in your kindness, you would strengthen us by your spirit. You would send your spirit amongst us to hear this word of yours and and to change as necessary, Lord. And I also pray that in your mercy and your kindness, you'd speak through me, your servant. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just for those who are making notes, um, I've titled this, this sermon, The Fear of Man De- De- Defeated. And I guess I've got three main points, just so you know where we're tracking and where we're heading. The first, the first point that I want to cover is... Defining the fear of man, I hope to define it for you. The second point, identifying the fear of man. And the third point, defeating the fear of man. And I guess if, if I had one ambition, one hope, one thing that I would hope that you would take from this, that would be that, 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 you, would, that you would fear God, that you would love other people, and that for you that would be a source of comfort, a source of courage, a source of, of boldness that you might be faithful in sharing the gospel. And I guess if you're anything like me, you might be prone to thinking that you're the only one that, that struggles with the fear of man and that no one big or great in the Bible could ever have struggled with the fear of man after all that, the, the, the amazing things that were done through them. And that's why I find this story so encouraging, is that Peter, a man who did great things for God, is a man also who struggled with the fear of man. Let me paint you uh, a little bit of context for what's going on in this story. But before we do, just, just a word of, of warning. This, this story is not primarily about, about Peter's fear of man, although I think we can learn a lot from it. This story is primarily about the Saviour that the Saviour, even by one of his closest friends, was rejected. And when he went to that cross, he was alone. He was mocked and he was shamed with no friends there to comfort him or support him. But, but at the same time, as I've said, this story of Peter, I think, has a lot to speak to us. In the context, they've just been speaking about uh, speaking about. Uh, or praying together, sorry, and singing uh, hymns together on uh, the Mount of Olives. And after that, Jesus has spoken to Peter and he said, look, all of you will fall away because it's said in the book of Zechariah, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And Peter stands up and he says, look, you know, everyone, if they fall away, I'm not going to fall away. You know, I would die for you, Jesus. Jesus looks him in the eye and says, I tell you the truth, Peter, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. 
And Peter still denies it. Carry on a bit more. Jesus has been betrayed by Judas and arrested and taken to the high priest's house. It's uh, probably a Thursday on the 2nd of April in AD 33. It's our, our best guess. It's a cold day or a cold night, sorry. And, and Peter has been following at a distance because after the arrest of Jesus, he's been too afraid to, to follow closely by. And he's come to the, the, the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest. And the whole council of Jerusalem is gathered. We've got scribes who are middle-class lawyers. We've got Pharisees who are religious people and the priests, the head of the whole of Jerusalem. We've got the elders who are wealthy landowners and influential people all gathered together and they are mocking Jesus and shaming Jesus and it's a sham trial and Jesus is going to be found guilty and put to death and we've got Peter with the other guards and the Judeans who who aren't good enough to be in the council outside in the courtyard probably about 30 meters away and Peter is warming himself by the fire and that that servant girl comes up to Peter and in verse 67 says to Peter, you're with this guy. And Peter, Peter denies it. He says, no, 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 I wasn't. And she goes away and starts telling others, no, no, this guy was with Jesus and Peter denies it. But the problem is at this point, he's given it away because he's a Galilean. And Galileans, just as a bit of context, have a really funny accent. They can't distinguish between two sounds and it's kind of like, I don't know, like maybe like, what's the best way to describe it? A bogan accent, maybe? It's like a really, really like, like really unusual, hard to understand accent. And so the more he denies it, the more it's obvious he's a Galilean and they're all Judeans and Galilee is this rural, northern, it's above Samaria, backwater, rural community. And everyone else is Judeans. And here we've got this Galilean speaking with a clear Galilean accent. And Jesus is from Galilee. And so she says, no, 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 you're a Galilean. Clearly you were with him. And he denies it again. But this time he's pouring down curses upon his own head. May God curse me if I speak a lie. May it be on my mother's grave if I, if I speak a lie. I do not know this man. And then in Luke's gospel... What it says is Jesus looks over from the court at Peter. And you, you can almost see those eyes, can't you? Just, just penetrating eyes saying, you, my friend, would also betray me? You would betray me? And Peter sees the Saviour and weeps and weeps. And my my point is this, that in that moment, Peter was undergoing, experiencing intense fear of man. You know, he knew, he knew that the Pharisees were plotting murder. They'd been speaking about it for months, that they were planning on crucifying him. And now Jesus is arrested, everyone has left him. And Peter Peter was afraid. He, He was thinking, perhaps... If I speak out in this moment, they'll arrest me too and crucify me as well. He was experiencing intense fear of man. And I I, I guess 
we can kind of understand Peter's fear of man in, in some sense, I feel like. Because someone facing death, it's a pretty big deal, right? So you can, kind of, you can kind of relate to how this guy could have crumbled in the midst of it. But for us, so often, the things that we're afraid of are far less than that, aren't they? The things that cause us to tremble inside and at times to deny Christ are so much, so much less. And that's what I really want to explore. What are those things? How, how do we do that? But first, I think we need to define what we're talking about. You might be a, a visitor with us and you've never heard the fear of man. You're thinking, Brendo, fear of man, what on earth is that? What, what are you talking about? There's a few definitions I've got here. One author says, the fear of man is an excessive or simple concern about what others think about us. Another author writes, an inordinate desire for human approval or an intense fear of being rejected. Ken Sandy in The Peacemaker, and I love this quote, says, this can take many forms. Sometimes it involves an actual fear of what others can do to us, but it is most commonly seen as an excessive concern about what others think about us. This can lead to a preoccupation with acceptance, approval, popularity, personal comparison, self-image, or pleasing others. This idol can make us reluctant to confront serious sin, and the constant desire for approval and acceptance can cause us to gossip or prevent us from speaking out on moral issues. And I would add, can stop us from sharing the gospel. It's a good thing for us to desire to be loved, be accepted by others that's a good thing but what we're talking about here is the excessive desire it's craving it so much that in the process you crave it more than you do the acceptance of your savior more than you love your savior defining the fear of man point two identifying the fear of man i think often it's easy to spot the fear of man in other people i have a a good friend of mine who's a christian uh, at a church i was going to before and this guy, God love him, he really struggles with the fear of man. And the way that manifests in this guy's life is it's impossible to know what he actually thinks or believes about anything. You'll ask him uh, about a service and you'll say, look, uh, what did you think about that service that we had? You know, the message, how, how did you find it? Oh, I didn't find it very good. And you'll say, oh, really? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was great. And it's, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, it was great. Uh, yeah, I mean, I said it wasn't very good. I didn't like it. I mean, I, I didn't like that it didn't go longer. I would have loved it to be a longer message is what I'm saying. Oh, did you have a good time at the party? Ah, oh, yeah, I had a great time at the party. Oh, no, I didn't really have a good time. I thought, you know, there was a few people being really obnoxious. And, oh, yeah, 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 no, no, that was, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't really have a good time. The irony of the situation is, the more you're driven by a fear of other people and desiring to please them, the less likable you are because you're impossible to know. It's impossible to know what you, you, what you feel and think about anything. Um, <laughs> sometimes, on the other side of things, there's some people who I think, yeah, you could probably do with an extra dose of the fear of man. Uh, I can say this about this guy because he's a mate of mine from college and he has absolutely no fear of man at all. Uh, Jeff, if you're ever listening to this, I'm speaking about you. Now, Jeff, the way his fear of man expresses itself 
is uh, in the clothes he wears. One of his favorite numbers, he loves to wear the clothes. And this is a tall guy. Is this huge poncho with like technicolors all over it. Like amazing. Another thing that uh, expression of his fear of man is there's a thing that young guys like to do. Um, I'm not involved in this. But uh, gay chicken. I uh, don't know if you're familiar with it. The idea is you'll do something inappropriate, like you know, pretend to kiss someone or something like that, and it's like who can, who's the last person before they pull out sort of thing. Don't play gay chicken with Jeff. He will kiss you, <laughs> just as a heads up. Um, but I think often it's easy to spot in other people, but in us, it's not very easy to spot. I think for some of us, we, we are unaware of the ways in which the fear of man is expressed, and that's what I want to help us with. I really want to try and draw out some ways in which the fear of man is expressed. I want to look at three basic expressions of the fear of man. The first one is probably the least relevant to us specifically, and that is the fear of what people might do to us, harming us. I think Peter is a great example of a fear of man in terms of a fear for his well-being and safety. But there's two others that I want to explore. And the first one is a fear of being exposed. It's a fear that people will see me, and see who I really am and that they will humiliate me. And I've experienced a fair bit of this. I want to tell you, I'm going to tell, as a caveat, I'm going to tell you a few embarrassing stories about myself. So uh, I'm going to probably need some love after today. Um, many, for many years, I really wanted to be a doctor. I really wanted to be a doctor. And my sister's sitting here, she knows I wanted to. And I studied and worked really hard. And I had lots of exams and worked hard at school. And I sat the entrance exam. They call it the UMAT Undergraduate Medical Admissions Test. I didn't get in. I was pretty upset about that. But I thought, oh, I didn't study that hard for it. I'll study again, prepare myself better, and I'll reset this exam. So the date came up. I had my ticket, you know, with the address where you're meant to go. You need to go into Sydney. I live in Wollongong. I got early on the train about 4 o'clock in the morning to go out to sit this exam. And I was pumped. I was ready for it. I'm going to nail this exam this time. Um, It's going to be awesome. And I got on this train, turned up at the venue, and it's, this, it's Wentworth Park Stadium, which is where they do like the Greyhounds or something out there. It's this huge complex. And last time that I'd done it, like there was people everywhere. And I rocked up, and I was really early because I was determined, you know, that I'm going to sit this exam, be well prepared. And there was no one there. And so I thought, oh, yeah, probably too early. I'll wait around for a bit. So I'm waiting around, time's going by, still no one. And it's getting close to the time of the exam. I'm starting, thinking, I'm starting to panic. I'm getting anxious. I'm thinking, am I at the wrong place? So I'm on the phone to my dad. Like, dad, um, it's meant to be, this is the right place, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's the right place. I'm like, I can't see anyone. Like, where am I meant to go in to sit this exam? And I'm getting more and more anxious. And I'm walking around. I'm starting pulling people over. Like, excuse me, you know, can you help me? Can you help me out? Like, where am I meant to go? I've got this exam. And people are like, oh, I don't know anything about it. What are you talking about? And finally, I pull over this jogger. I say, look, mate, help me. The exam, it's meant to start right now. I don't know where I'm meant to be. Can you help me? He looked at me and he said, yeah, yeah, I can help you. I, I remember seeing heaps of people preparing for an exam. It was right here, two days ago. And I checked my ticket and uh, I'd misread the date and I turned up two days late. And I tell you what, in that moment, yeah, I was disappointed, but that wasn't the main thing I felt. The main thing I felt was a, bit, a, a deep shame, embarrassment, absolutely embarrassed because I've been trying to put on this appearance of being an intelligent guy. I'm, I'm preparing to sit this medicine exam. You know, I think this is one of the hardest professions to get into. I think, I, I think I'm a smart guy. 
But suddenly, I can't even read the date on a ticket. And I've got all of these friends. And, that was the worst. All the friends and family that are praying for me, calling up, oh, yes, it's only Robin. Uh, how did the exam go? We've been praying. And like, uh, yeah, about that. Yeah. And I just felt like I'd been exposed, you know. Here I, here I was working so hard, pretending like I'm a really smart guy, and suddenly I seem foolish to everyone. Uh, and it's so true, isn't it? Like, living life, we put on these masks, don't we? Like, trying to print, it's like masquerade, you know? And no one's wearing, like, a dumb mask. Like, no one's wearing, like, a chicken mask. You know what I'm saying? We're all wearing, like, you know, it's like Eric Banner, or it's like, you know, the Hulk, or it's like, if you're a woman, it's like, I don't know, like, some, someone, like, Britney Spears, Oprah! Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But when, what the, the deal is, when it starts to get peeled away, when that mask starts to come off a little bit, we get scared. What if someone sees the real me underneath, the real foolish me, you know, the real me with my, my quirks and things that I'm ashamed of? Isn't it? We fear what people might think of us because we're fear of being exposed, of being humiliated. And I think often we fear sharing the gospel to other people because we fear that that in doing that, people are going to see us, expose us, humiliate us, think we're a fanatic or a fool, and, and we don't want that. So we, we, we shy away from it and we keep to ourselves. I mean, I, it just reminds me of, um, the, well, it was about six months ago, I was on the train with Dingo. Um, for, there's a few visitors. Dingo is not, it's not like the church pet. It's uh, a guy in our church. He's a friend of mine. Um, and uh, we're on the train, and and we're traveling along. I don't know, it was before we had cars, so we were catching train everywhere. And we were sitting on the train, blah, blah, minding our own business. And on get these full-on gospel preachers. And they're young guys that look like Islander background or something. And they're wearing these you know, cool, like, teen shirts and stuff. And they get on into our carriage. Like, excuse me, we've got an announcement to make. And then they start preaching the gospel. And they're not preaching junk, like they're preaching proper preaching the gospel on our carriage. And there's guys at the back and they're heckling them, saying, shut up, you get off, you Christians, or something. I don't know what they're saying. But do you know how I felt in the midst of that? Do you know what I felt? I felt like I just wanted to hide and disappear into a hole. I was sitting there like, please don't talk to me, please don't talk to me, please don't, no, no, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to know. And I, I know there's a place for talking about effectiveness and things like that, what's appropriate. Well, what's going on there? Like, why did I feel such a, a shame and, uh, and uh, want just to have nothing to do with these guys? I'll tell you what it was. I didn't want to be seen to be associated with these guys. The last thing I wanted is to be identified as a Christian that somehow I might, some of their you know, fanatical out there street evangelists might rub off of me and the guys on the carriage might think that I'm a fanatic. And so I was ashamed. That's, that's, that's the, the first point, a fear of being exposed or put to shame. The second one, I think, is, and it's particularly relevant to sharing the gospel, is fear of being rejected. That's the other side of it. And I, I think, like, sometimes we, we, just, we just really fear that people are just going to, if we're faithful in sharing with them, that they're going to they're gonna reject us and they're not going to want to have anything to do with us and uh, that they're going to laugh in our face. You know, the thing that, the thing that always sticks with me is a clip of a sound clip from Christopher Hitchens in The New Atheist that I keep hearing on TV time and time again. And someone asks him about Christianity, what he thinks of Jesus. And he says, and, and, and people need to know he was a hideous imposter. And it's a ridiculous religion. 
And, and there's a part of me that every time I want to go share the gospel with someone, I feel like that's what I'm going to get back. They're going to think I'm a fool, but more of that, they're going to reject me and they're going to want nothing to do with me. Um, I've been thinking a bit about this and I, and I was thinking, like, why, why is it that so often when we talk about missions or going on missions and doing things, often the places as churches we like to go are places that are far from us? I've been, I've been thinking a lot about this and I think often it's more difficult closer to home to share the gospel, isn't it? The more people know us, the more we value our relationship with them, the more difficult it becomes to share the gospel. Why? Because we fear they'll reject us. We fear that this person, this, this person knows me and all my problems and faults. If I share with this, they're just going to laugh in my face. And I just wonder for us, what are the relationships in which, at the moment, you struggle, you fear being rejected if you would share the gospel with someone? Is it at work, maybe? Is it at home with an unbelieving spouse or uh, husband or partner? Is it, is it at school or at university with close friends? Where is it where you're fearing being rejected? I've got a quote from Ed Welch who says, Sometimes we would prefer to die for Christ rather than live for him. Sometimes we would prefer to die for Christ than to live for him. If someone had the power to kill us for our profession of faith, I imagine most Christians would say, yes, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, even if this meant death. However, if making a decision for Jesus means that we might spend years being unpopular, ignored, poor or criticized, then there are masses of Christians who put their faith on the shelf. Isn't that true? Like for most of us, we think, oh yeah, in that decision, in that split second decision, yeah, of course, I'd, re- I'd, I'd, I'd accept Christ, I'd proclaim Christ and accept the end that the Lord would have for me. But it's the day-to-day stuff that we find so hard, isn't it? And I think part of that is because we fear being rejected. I was just really reminded about something to do with this, actually sharing with um, Pippa Reeves the other day in our life group. And she was sharing with me a story about one of her neighbours who she's been really trying to reach. And that neighbour of hers is an atheist. And she's been building this friendship and talking with her and trying to encourage her. And and her kids go in the same school, I think. And and her kids, because apparently scripture's really cool over there at that school, have been nagging her to let them go into scripture. And nagging and nagging and nagging. And finally this neighbour caved and she's like, right, Scripture, no worries. In you go. What, what harm can it do? Until one of her children came home and said, oh, mum, you know, I've got this great news. Scripture teacher just told me that I need to love God even more than my parents, even more than my mum and my dad. And her mum said, that's it. There's no way I'm going to let my child hear that nonsense and pull them straight out. I was thinking about that and I thought, We can talk about effectiveness and strategy and timing, but isn't that the truth? That fundamentally, the gospel, which says God demands your love and respect, he sent his son to die for you on a cross, that is offensive, isn't it? That is offensive. I I can remember, you know, um, when I was at school, back in in my more rebellious days, I'm still pretty rebellious, I like to think so anyway, but... um, at school, you know, I was doing some missional dating or it's uh, willful disobedience, as some might call it. 
And uh, there's this guy, you know, we were dating a bit, and, you know, I really liked her. And we went out on a date, out to the beach, if I remember correctly. And she said to me, Brendan, um, what you're telling me with this gospel thing that you keep going on about, what you're trying to get me to believe is that my grandma, my mum, my dad, they're going to hell because they don't believe in your Jesus. Is that what you believe? And I went, uh, well, you see, it's, uh, it's, it's more complicated than that. It's just, it's, there's all these other factors and, and, and just put out some, put out some, I don't know, I, was, I pray that the Lord might have used whatever I said. I can't verify for whether or not it was, uh, yeah, it might have been heretical, but what is said is said. Um, but isn't that the case? The gospel fundamentally is offensive. So if we fear being rejected by people, in some sense, there's, there's reason to fear, isn't there? There's a real rejection that we can face for our friends and family, isn't there? Jesus does say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But one of the things that I want to talk about is that God calls us first and foremost to fear him and put our trust in him and value our relationship with him more than the value the relationship with our friends, even if that at times means rejection. One of the verses that I was challenged about reading this week is from 2 Timothy 3.12. And, and what does it say? It's very confronting. It says, All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Why will they be persecuted? Because the message we bear is fundamentally offensive. We're meant to share it in love and with respect, but we, we, we carry a message which can lead people to reject us. Sometimes we really fear rejection, don't we? And that brings us to what I believe is the root issue behind our, our fear of men, that lies behind all of our fear of men, and that's idolatry. And the Bible teaches, I mean, you might be thinking, okay, fearing people, little idols, where's the relationship? How does that connect? The Bible says that anything that you worship and you bow down to other than God, anything you love more than, you place above God and say, this is, this is what is going to fulfill me, this is what's going to help me more than God, above and beyond Him, that is an idol. And it doesn't start... It, doesn't, it starts quite harmlessly at times, doesn't it? It starts off with a desire. We desire to be liked by friends and loved by friends and be accepted. And I've shared already, that's a good, that's a good desire to have. But it then quickly progresses more from a desire to a demand. You know, I, I just need to be respected by my friends at work. You know, I, I, just, I just need my wife to love me and, and love me more than what she's doing. I, I need that. And, and quickly demands become things that are uncompromising, things that become sources of our happiness, our fulfillment, sources of worship, idols. And we can idolize and worship relationships. And I think it takes two forms. I think we can, we can idolize relationships with other people when we fear being rejected by our friends and family. You know, it's, it's the classic example of, I'd, sh- I'd share with this friend of mine, you know, this friend of mine who's living in a de facto relationship or this friend of mine with 
who's, who's gay and he's living with his partner. But I know if I share the gospel with this friend, they're going to ask me about what I think about homosexuality and the way I'm living. And I know if I tell them it's sinful, they're going to reject me. And they're not going to want to have anything to do with me. And I value this friendship, so there's no way I'm going to share the gospel with them. I'll leave someone else to do that. That is idolatry of relationship. The second way, which I think it manifests itself, is not idolatry of relationship with others, but idolatry of self or pride. You know, when we value our reputation more than we value Christ, when we value the way people think of us more than we value Christ, our self-image, our reputation has become an idol. You know, the example that I clear, clearliest comes to mind is, is something like, I know I should be loving my friends and being a friend of sinners and, and spending time with people that don't believe, but, but when my friend asked me to that party, well, I'm just worried that, you know, if I go to that party, that a photo of me might get on Facebook and people might see me being at this party with all these other sinners and my reputation might be damaged and then I might not get the job that I want. That is idolatry of self. That is putting yourself and your reputation above Christ. And I know there's a need for wisdom and discernment about where we go and what we do, but when we value those things more than we value Christ, it's idolatry. So understanding these things, I mean, the question becomes, you know, what do we do with all this? You know, how do we, how do we overcome all these things? You know, it just seems overwhelming. And that's what I want to talk about now is just defeating, defeating uh, the fear of man. What do we do to defeat it? And I want to draw your attention back to the passage, um, or the story, sorry, that I was reading before from Mark with Peter. And Peter's denied Christ. And Christ has been crucified, a shameful and a humiliating death, but he is risen. He's appeared to his disciples. And the risen Jesus, appearing to his disciples, speaks with Peter. And it says in John 21, 15, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my sheep. He said to him a second time, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, Feed my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had asked him a third time, Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I find this story so moving because you can clearly see Peter is a broken man, isn't he? You know, he has betrayed Jesus, the Saviour. And and he has been just ashamed by what he's done. 
And this is a picture, I think, of a repentant man. A man that just doesn't want to live that way anymore. And I want to say to you guys, if you're sitting here feeling convicted that you have been living with the fear of man, that you have been put in relationships with others or your own self-image above God, you need to repent of that. You need to ask the Lord for his forgiveness. And I know that that speaks to many folks that are here, many people that are really struggling with this. I just want to encourage you by actually a a song that I've been really enjoying listening to from the new Sovereign Grace album this week. And it's it's a rewrite of Psalm 51. And, And it's just what they sing over and over again is, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, a broken and a contrite heart you would not despise, O Lord. And that's the truth of the gospel, isn't it? If you ask for forgiveness, if you repent of this sin of putting others before Christ, he will forgive you. He is gentle and loving and his yoke is easy. But from the series that we've been doing on Ephesians, it's not just a matter of putting off. We also need to put on, don't we? We need to attend that divine changing room of putting off and repenting of our old ways and putting on new things. So what do we put on to replace the fear of man? And I want to propose to you guys that that is the, the fear of God. I think often when we speak of fear of God, there's a lot of confusion. I think many people have a, a strange idea of what fear of God actually is. And I want to tell you, first of all, what it's not. It's not like me in a horror film. Um, When I watch horror films, uh, I don't know about you, but for me, I hate horror films. And when I watch horror films, I suddenly get all like servant-hearted. We'll be in like a really scary bit will come up and suddenly I'll be like, so uh, drinks, anyone drinks popcorn over here? Yes, yes, thank you. Drink over there, yes, tea, I hear, how many sugars? And and I'm just trying to do anything to get out of that room without looking like an idiot. Or uh, you know it's bad when I'm sitting and watching the movie and you know you can see like me going cross-eyed or something like that like I just, I just figure like if I if I just make it blurry it'll just be the sounds and it won't be so bad um, that's not the fear of God that's not what we're talking about um, what is the fear of God then I think there's a great passage that can really help us in this and so if you've got your Bibles can you open to 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 just as a bit of context uh, it's Paul's second letter to the Corinthians He's just been talking about treasure in jars of clay and how we as Christians, particularly the Corinthians, are just unimpressive. These daggy, crumbling jars, but with this renewing, amazing treasure of the Holy Spirit and the gospel concealed, hidden inside. 2 Corinthians 5, if you start with me from verse 1, it says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God a house that is not made with hands eternal, with hands but eternal in the heavens. For this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. It's this idea of this, this body that's weak and failing and that's perishing. But this, this, compared to this tent, there's this building, this heavenly home, that, this new body that God is preparing for those who believe. Move on to verses 5 and 6. It says... He who has prepared us has given this very thing is God who has given us by his spirit as a guarantee so that we are always of good courage. They're of good courage. Why? Because it's God who's done it. It's God that's given this promise that he's going to renew their bodies, that he's going to make from them a home. Verse 8 again, it says, 
So we are, yes, we are of good courage. Verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Verse 10, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is his due for what he has done in this body, whether good or evil. Verse 11, this is what I really want you to focus in on. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we seek to persuade others. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we seek to persuade others. So for Paul, the fear of the Lord is, yes, I have this body. It's perishing, but God has a promise of a new body. Yes, I face persecution and affliction from people, but I know that God is judge of all and all will be called to account. So I seek to to please him. So in this passage, the fear of God is living to please God with the knowledge that he is the judge of all. Now, according to the New Bible Dictionary, to fear God is to revere him and give him due respect and honor. And the fear of God is linked to the love of God and obedience to his commandments. So I want to, I want to, to, sell, to, to, to just put this across to you guys, that the, the fear of God is a reverence and a, I want to love and obey him. And I think that means for us, our problem isn't too much fear. It's that we fear the wrong things and we don't fear God enough. And I think there's, there's some ways in which we can go about changing this. I mean, we can, we can apply this by understanding the, the great things of God, you know, understanding his, his might and his sovereignty and his power. But there's one thing that I think will really help us to apply this fear of God in our lives, and that is by looking to the cross. Let me show you this awesome quote I've got from John Bunyan, who's uh, a 17th century uh, Puritan. He says this, A hard heart is impenitent, and impenitence makes the heart harder and harder. If you would be rid of a hard heart, that great enemy to the growth of grace, of fear, be much with Christ on the cross in your meditations. For that is an excellent remedy against the hardness of heart. A right sight of him as he hung there for your sins will dissolve your heart into tears and make it soft and tender. They will look to him whom they have broken, whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn. Now a soft and tender heart, a broken heart, is a fit place for the grace of fear to thrive. If you would be a person who fears God, be much with your meditations of Christ on the cross. But also at the heart of the fear of man, there's something else, isn't there? There's this need for us to cast our eyes off ourselves onto something else onto Christ on the cross, isn't there? I was thinking about this the other day. I was really down in the dumps. and I was self-pitying, I realized. And the reason why I was feeling so down in the dumps is because my eyes were cast upon myself. And I need to encourage myself every day to cast my eyes again to Christ on the cross and look to him and fear him. What else do we do? We, we, We grow in the fear of God, but we also put on true love for God and for others. I think we often like fool ourselves into thinking that we're loving others 
by keeping silent about the gospel. But the reality is, you know, the reality is our friends are in desperate need, aren't they? I've got this fear of mine. Um, it's my friends speaking from the grave, s- surrounding me, saying, you, 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 said, me, you said you loved me. Why, 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 didn't, why, why didn't you share with me? Why didn't, you, why didn't you warn me of this affliction? So I think we need to ask our question, ask ourselves this question, you know, what does loving our neighbours look like? I'm always, I'm always challenged by Keith Green. He's a 70s rocker, key guy. Joel's laughing, he knows him. My parents really liked him. used to listen to him all the time. He's like a little bit daggy, but he was a man who loved the Lord very much. And one of the things that he says or said that really has stuck with me is sometimes I wonder whether I care more that people think I'm a nice guy than that they know the love of Jesus. And that has stuck with me ever since I heard it. Because I just think so often I just I just care more about what people think of me than they know the love of Christ. That's that's not loving our neighbours, is it? We also, we need to grow in a love for God, don't we? You know, the Shema, it's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your God, the Lord is one. That thing that they would say over and over again. But the other side of it is, you must love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. We need such a, a love for God. We need a picture of God that is big in our eyes, where we're consumed so much by love for him that we don't care about, about what people think of us and that we can be free to love them with a boundless love. I'm just always moved by the Saviour's cry of compassion in Matthew 23:37. He says, He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that stones its prophets and persecutes those who are sent to it, how I long to gather you under my arms like a, like, like a hen, its chicks, but you were not willing. Even for folks that are not willing, we need to, we need to love them. I really wanted to end with an encouragement to you guys that we have hope for change. We really have hope for change. And firstly, I've, I've witnessed this hope for change in this very church already. I've witnessed people growing in a fear of the Lord and defeating the sin of fearing man. And I wanted to, I mean... I asked this person already and they said they would. It was kind of, I was a bit rough because it's like, I'm doing a message on the fear of man. You know, if you say no, it's because you fear of man. So it's like, I feel like I'm cor- I was cornering them a little bit. But the person I wanted to point out to actually was my, was my sister. Um, look, she has been struggling with this for a long time and she's very aware of it. And I think like many of you, prone to feeling condemned about that. And um, she shared with me something the other day um, that I just wanted to share with you as an encouragement. And uh, it was just at work. And she was just having a chat with a girlfriend who came to her and she was gossiping about someone else at work. And you know, I just felt really convicted in that moment that that's not right, um, that gossiping's wrong and that she needed to somehow be loving one towards this friend, one towards the other person didn't know what to say and so just in that moment she just prayed and just prayed the prayer like lord 
I'm really struggling with this. I don't know what to say. Um, I want this person to like me. Give me the words to speak. And the Lord answered that prayer and gave her words to speak that were loving to that friend but also helped to resolve that, that conflict. And I want to say that that's just one example of many. And if you're a person here that is struggling consistently with this fear of other people, there's hope for you to change. The Lord is good and kind and he desires to mould you and shape you in the likeness of his son. The, the second thing I, I want to share with you is just the end of this story of Peter. Um, Acts chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. If, if you don't, it's, it's no big deal. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 from verse 5. This is Peter after the risen Christ has ascended again into heaven. It says, On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders. I love this. Rulers and the people of, and of the people and elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified whom God has raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. Isn't that amazing? Just before we're reading about this man weeping, realizing that he has just rejected his Savior, now standing fearlessly sharing the gospel. How How does this happen? How does a man move from move from shame and fear towards his Savior to, to, to speaking one of the most bold sermons ever written, I think? And the answer is, verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit that works in your heart, desiring to help you to change and grow in this sin. And he's faithful to do that. But we need, to, we need to ask him to forgive us. We need to be willing to change. We need to love God and fear God and love others in our, in our desire to overcome the fear of man. Why don't you just close with me in prayer as I just pray for you guys that God will be gracious in helping you to overcome the fear of man in your lives as well. Lord Jesus, you are gracious and merciful. You died for us a shameful death that we might be made right with you. Lord, I I am just aware that many people here are struggling with this sin of fearing people more than than we fear you. I, I pray that you would send your spirit to make God 
big in our eyes, Lord. Give us a big vision of God that might cast out any fear that we have. Lord, give us a comfort in knowing that we are saved and reconciled with you by the blood of your Son. Lord, also by your Spirit, I pray that you would move us to compassion. Move us with the compassion of Christ to share the gospel in our workplaces, with our family, with our friends, to love our neighbours as you have first loved us, Lord. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit you would be empowering us to change, Lord. That you would be working in us to change, Lord. Lord, give us a boldness and a courage that only comes from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.